0: Okay, we are in Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. We need to pray. We need to pray that uh Dobson doesn't shave that glorious mane on his face. Uh we need to pray. We got a lot of people who are at the lake this week. Um you get people this is this would be like uh, you know, with the, uh the, today being the 4th, tomorrow would be uh a holiday for a lot of people and and so we've got family out of town and, and then, you know, we've got some family that's, that's wandering and, and so we need to pray. We need to ask the Lord to, to help us, amen? Um, you know, at the same time, you know, we have people that, that come in to visit because uh, they're in from out of town. It's good to be able to come together and to be able to worship freely. Uh, thank God for our freedoms thank God for what He has done in our nation and and uh, the ability to be able to freely worship, to be able to serve, to obey the scripture uh, these are these are these are wonderful things to obey scripture without any fear of reprisal retribution by governmental authority is uh, uh, it is a wonderful thing. Let's pray, Father, we come to you this morning in Jesus name and And Lord, we do thank you uh, for the freedom that was bought for us at the cross of Calvary. And Lord, how we see the reality of that liberty in so many ways, and I know it's always in contest and there's always a battle, Uh, but Lord, we don't take for granted what you've given us. Thank you for our freedoms, thank you for the ability to to freely assemble, to freely worship, uh, to freely give of ourselves and lay down our lives in service to you. Uh, God, we, we, we thank you. Thank you for, uh, thank you for a, 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 I think for most people, Monday will be a day off. I pray that these will be times of refreshing, uh, but also remembering uh, what the freedoms that we enjoy, what it costs so, so many countless lives were paid. Uh, they were sacrificed uh, in order for us to be able to live as a free people. But Lord, above all, we thank you for your love for us, for Christ's sacrifice at Calvary, Lord, help us to be able to reckon rightly. Lord, your word is true, and uh, Lord, we want to take it serious this morning. We want to be able to, to have a good time studying your word, but, but Lord, we want to be like Samuel, and we don't want to let any of it fall to the ground. Uh, there's so much in these chapters that, that we could give our lives to the study and the application, the connection to other Uh, passages and biblical principles and and we just never exhaust your word but Lord what you have for us this morning we want to receive and so Lord would you help us God would you set the the weakness of my stumbling lips and and uh, Lord the the weakness of my flesh and would you just set all of that aside and and God just through the power of your word and the power of your Holy Spirit have your way with every heart and life Lord, we don't want to be guilty of seeing, getting insight, seeing what your word says over our life and then walking away from this place and, 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 and let it be stolen. We don't want the seed of your word stolen by the fowl of the air. Uh, we, we don't want to be uh, leaving this place seeing what your word says and then become a forgetful doer. Lord, help us to live what we know for your glory. God, I, I thank you for the opportunity that we have to give and, and Lord, in, in just what's been a, a rough season for churches all over the world, you've blessed us. Lord, bless the, the disciples, the faithful stewards who are so faithful to give, uh, who, are, who are not just obedient, but generous, who are sacrificial uh, to, 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 to support, to play a part in the work of the ministry, not just here at 40th and Walnut, but Lord, now all over the world. Uh, Lord, I pray that you'd help us to continue to make disciples that are not just bought in with the first dime out of every dollar, but with the whole of their lives, that they're, they're laboring to see the work move forward. Uh, Lord, I thank you for the promise that where two or three are gathered, uh, the Lord Jesus is in the midst. This is your church. We are your people. You are God. We belong to you. Have your way in our lives. We pray right now in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, One quick follow-up. You know, every year, there's always a a, a number of people that will sign up for All Church Retreat at the very last minute, and it makes planning very difficult. Uh, You don't want to miss All Church Retreat. It's like Bible camp for the whole family. We want whole families to go to retreat so that, when Junior comes home from Bible camp, mom and dad aren't, aren't squabbling when Junior gets home. No, you need to all come back uh, with revival and, and excited about what the word of God says over your life. And so this is why we say, there's two things in life you really don't wanna miss. Obviously you don't wanna miss the rapture of the local church. And then outside of that, it's, it's church camp, right? Whenever we, anytime God's people say, this is so big, this is so important, that we wanna just set aside time to get away together and get in the word together. God always shows up in a marvelous way and every year we say best camp, best retreat ever. Like, okay, so I'm full of faith that this will be the best retreat that we've ever had in our entire stinking lives. Praise the Lord. And if you miss it, you're, I mean, you're gonna miss it. So help us plan, sign up, okay? Get that information in the can so that, so that we can do a good job preparing. Uh, for everybody at retreat. Uh, Again, that is at mbtkc.org. Go to the events page and uh, you'll find the links there. Uh, If you did not get a handout on the way in, you're welcome to raise your hand. Somebody from Connections can hook you up. Otherwise, there's digital copies online. You can get them at YouTube, Facebook, and mbtkc.org. But uh, we're just gonna start with our review because repetition is the price of learning. And uh, I just wouldn't feel right if there wasn't some review. So, Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And right there, in the first six verses of Genesis chapter three, God shows you how Satan works to deceive God's people and to overthrow them. God gives you insight into how Satan works in humanity. It's to sow doubt and confusion over the word of God. And what took place 6,000 years ago, brothers and sisters, that was just the start. Satan is still very much in the business of sowing doubt and confusion over what God did or didn't say, what is and what is not the word of God. So last time we saw the serpent, we saw him in action. His goal is to discredit God's word. And notice the attack, right right out of the gate. It's hath God said. Uh, do you really know what God said? He's sowing confusion as to the authorship of God's word. But he's also causing Eve to question the accuracy of God's word. You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Like, God wants you to starve? I mean, he just went full on, full out crazy in his accusation against God. You shall not eat of every tree in the garden? Now, there's only one tree that's not on the menu, but, but now he's got Eve questioning. Can I really know what God meant when he gave me his word? But then he also attempts to get Eve to doubt the acceptability of God's word. I mean, God wants you to starve. Well, you know, God said we, we, we can eat, but there's one tree that we can't eat or touch lest we die. You shall not surely die, God's holding out on you. He knows that when you eat, you'll be as God. So, so he's, trying to, he's trying to position God to Eve like he's the bad guy. It's not fair that he's prohibiting this tree that's, I mean, it's pleasant to the eyes, it's good for food, it'll make you like a, I mean, you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. Okay, so to doubt the acceptability, God is being unfair. Have you ever ever been tempted to feel that way in your own life? Uh, Something happens and you feel like Uh, maybe God didn't do for you what you felt like you deserved he should do for you and you're tempted to think God is being unfair to me. I know that that's happened in my life a number of times and whenever I step back and I get the the big picture view I realize, oh yeah, I should be burning in hell right now. Okay, so sorry, there's a a gnat. Um, (laughs) Sorry, it's an old house. Okay, so it's the same thing happens in my house uh, people just leave the doors hanging open. Can I, can I just, address, can we just have a quick family meeting? Yes. Okay. Do not leave the doors hanging open. We don't have foyer around the building, right? And so what happens is, you, you're, this is a very loving church. You're a very hospitable church. And when you see somebody coming from a quarter mile off, you're like, come on in, okay? And so you're waiting for 30 minutes uh, for them to get through the door and then to close the door. And in the meantime, we're, if it's winter, we're trying to heat Midtown. If it's summer, we're trying to air condition Midtown. The humidity and the cold, whatever it is, it's all rolling into the building. And in this season, so are the flies, the gnats, and the mosquitoes. And so let's, uh, let's just all agree we're very hospitable. And when somebody comes up onto the landing, Right, just, just as they're coming to the door, that's when we'll open the door for them. They'll walk in and then we'll immediately close it. And if we want to have a conversation with them, it won't be while we're standing in the door with it open. And we'll have a long conversation, how are you, how are your kids, how's your family, how's your mother, yeah, is everything going all right? Yeah, everything's good at work, I love you, you love me. Oh, let me tell you a cool story, and, and, the, door, and the flies are like, what's in here? It smells good. So, so, When they get up on the landing and they're getting to the door, we'll open them. If we have to talk to them, we'll just follow them right in, but we'll keep the doors closed. Yeah, okay, so praise the Lord. Um, We took care of some family business. It's good to get that off my chest. I feel better. Okay, where was I when Beelzebub started messing with me, huh? Who's burning in hell? Oh yeah, I should be burning in hell, that's where I left off, yeah. (laughs) So I step back, I get a big picture look and it's like, I didn't get what I deserved. Oh wait, 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 I'm so grateful I'm not getting what I deserve, amen? Uh, God is not some unjust me monster tyrant, is he? He is a loving and sacrificial God. He is greatly sacrificed for us. He is full of grace and mercy God has bent over backwards making sure that I am taken care of just like he did Adam and Eve. God's word is very acceptable in it. We find God's grace and life and mercy. And we saw last time that both Satan and Eve subtract from God's word. They both leave out the word freely. God is a generous, he's a good, good father. He provides for his children. They leave out freely. They take out freely at the beginning of the Bible. We saw that God puts it back in at the end. Everyone can freely take of the tree of life. Uh, So they subtract from God's word and and, and so Eve starts getting confused. And so this was one of the big keys that we looked at last time. If you don't know the word of God, how are you gonna obey it? Obviously Eve is confused on the word of God. She thinks that she can't, I mean if they're gonna tend and keep the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, uh, chances are they're gonna touch it it 's just not on the menu if you don 't know god 's Word, how are you going to obey it? I remember uh, being a young man, going through one of those times where I felt like life was Cheryl had broke up with me again and, and uh, I was frustrated at work, and this, you know just everything was culminating to one of those nexus in life where you know me as a 21 year old uh, everything 's going wrong, and you know it 's probably still going through puberty or something, so super emotional and and uh, my car broke down. I had a sweet 65 Mustang. I'm going in to work at UPS, it's the night shift, and it just quits running out there on 435, and I can't figure it out. I'm gonna be late, which you don't do at UPS, and this is before cell phones, so I climb the barricade. I find a house in the middle. I'm knocking on the door. Can I use your phone? I got, I'm, I'm stranded on 435. It's just everything, it's humiliating, it's horrible, And and uh, I'm back out trying to figure out what I'm going to do. And I look up at the night sky, and I'm like, "God, why is everything going wrong? What do you want from me?" If you hand to God, this is what I said. I was I was so ignorant. If you would just write me a letter, <laughs> then I'd know, and then I'd do it. And lightning did not come down from heaven and consume me uh, the mercy and the grace of God. (laughs) I literally said that to God. If you would just write me a letter and back home I had one of these sitting by my bed. If you don't know the word of God, how are you going to obey the word of God? Because here's Satan denying God's truth. He flat out calls God a liar. Ye shall not surely die. (sighs) And here's his proof. For God doth know Here's really what's at stake. God doth know Then the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And so she took the bait. Satan's best lies are always couched in the truth. Everything he said in verse five was absolutely true. He sold the lie of verse four with the truth of verse five. And the temptation that she fell for, it is as old as time, First John 2.16 says that she fell in the area of the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. It's the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And so she saw that it was good for food. That's the lust of the flesh, right? It's good for food. She's, it throws you off because it's she saw it was good for food. It's good for food. It was pleasant to the eyes. So that's the lust of the eyes, and then it was desired to make one wise. That's the pride of life. So to emotional Eve, Satan's appealing to her powers of reason, and we saw that to the reasonable Adam, he got him over his emotions and love for Eve. 1 Timothy 2.14 says that Adam was not deceived. Uh, The woman was deceived. Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression. The devil said, God's holding out on you. He doesn't want you to be like him. What you can do is if you'll just ignore him in this one instance, then you can stand in the place of God as God, and, 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 and you can be in charge. You can show yourself that you are God. The devil said, ye shall be as gods, and so she took the bait. But we ended up last time with this understanding. Satan didn't tell Eve everything. He didn't tell Eve that once they had the knowledge of sin they'd be accountable over it. He didn't tell Eve that hell was created for fallen gods. He, he, he left out a lot of the truth that Eve should have known up front. But Jesus has Satan's number in John chapter eight. Uh, he is a murderer. He's a liar, right? So he tells lies in order to kill. So, this deception, that's what we saw last time. It was taken, Eve took it, she gave to her husband. Uh, He was taken in the deception through Eve and this leads to death, okay? Everything that we're gonna see over the rest of chapter three is how death unfolds on humanity. Let's pick it up in verse seven. The Bible says, And the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. So what we're seeing now is the beginning and this is what we're seeing over the rest of chapter three is the sting of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. Uh, The Bible says in verse seven that the eyes, right, and the eyes of them both were opened and they knew that they were naked. What you're seeing right there immediately is the conviction of sin. They recognize now their fallen state before God. They knew that they were naked. See, knowing, the knowing of sin, right, when you get the exceeding sinfulness of sin, it's because you know the reality that you stand naked before Almighty God. So, death and naked are your first two blanks. We're off to a good start. Hebrews chapter four, verse 13 says, neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Uh, their eyes are open to their rebellion before God, and they're standing now before the Lord. They, they see that they are naked before him, and so they move to hide. So we're seeing the first stage of death. The the sting of sin is death. We're seeing the consequences play out. Now, you need to know this. In your Bible, there are three deaths. I thought death was just when your heart stops beating. No, the Bible describes three different deaths. First, there's spiritual death, and that's what we're gonna see most plainly here in Genesis chapter three. Spiritual death is the separation of the soul from God. They're cut off from fellowship with God and this happened to Adam and Eve when they rebelled and ate the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Ephesians chapter two says, now everyone born to them, you and I, when we were born physically, we were by nature the children of wrath. Uh, We were born separated from our creator. Everyone that's born into the world is born into this condition and it's only through a second birth, being born again, that a person can be made alive in Christ and brought back into fellowship with God and be spiritually alive. Is everybody with me so far? So this is the big one, spiritual death. Uh, that, that is everything in terms of the judgment of sin. Now physical death follows and we'll see that with Adam and Eve. So physical death, that's the separation, okay? Spiritual death is the separation of the soul from God. Physical death is the separation of the soul and the spirit from the body. It's not the spirit that dies. It's not the soul that ceases. No, it's the body that dies, and uh, you'll see that in James 2 and Ecclesiastes 12. But this may be the worst one for the person who dies, and it's, described as eternal death. That's the third form of death and that is the final separation of the sinner from God in the lake of fire. The Bible calls it the second death. Eternal death is the second death because it follows physical death. Uh, Revelation 20 talks about the great white throne judgment and those whose names are not found written in the book of life They along with death and hell itself are cast into a lake of fire and this is for eternity. It is an eternal second death. So here's Adam and Eve. They realize, oh, we're naked, okay? They realize that they're naked before the Lord. They can't explain their rebellion to God. There's no way out and so what do they do? They cover up their sin. That's your next blank. This is what we do. Naturally, given our sin nature, whenever we do wrong, we try to cover it up, don't we? Have you ever met somebody, I mean it's just, a person's gotta be pretty far gone uh, in terms of their spiritual, emotional condition whenever they say, you know what I think I'm gonna do today? Uh, I'm gonna maim, rape, pillage, and destroy, and they put it on Facebook and they brag about it. No, most people, when they're committing sin, they cover it up, they try to hide it. I'm gonna steal from my boss this week at work. Um, I think I think that's a noble noble thing. I'm pretty proud uh, of being a dirty low down thief. No, people hide these things. Genesis 3:7 says they sewed fig leaves together, so they're making a garment out of fiddly, fig leaves. Fig leaves. They sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons, uh, to, you know, to cover their secret parts. This is the first mention of the fig tree in the Bible. And so it becomes for us, as you study the fig tree now in scripture, for the rest of scripture, just think about how this is, the fig tree illustrates it. It shows how man tries to exercise self-righteousness. Uh, I'm not right before God, but what can I do in order to cover my sin and appear right before God? Uh, the fig tree is a symbol of self-righteousness Uh, It's a symbol of man trying by his own effort to cover up the the, the exposed sin, the nakedness of sin that's exposed in their life. So what you're seeing here in verse seven is a picture of human righteousness. And what began 6,000 years ago has never stopped. Uh, Man, through his religious efforts, through religious solutions, tries to find ways to deal with sin, to cover up sin. When man sins, he tries to fix that problem through his self-effort. We make a mess, we make a mistake, we cause a problem, we sin, we err, and so we try to fix that problem and stereotypically what we do is we end up just piling it on. So now, not only has Adam and Eve, have they taken of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and rebelled against God, now their eyes are open, they know that they're naked, they know that they're in sin before God, Now they're piling it on by trying to fix the problem themselves. It's through their self-effort, their self-righteousness, they're trying to deal with their sin problem. Um, Man-made religion is nothing more than a fig leaf solution and it doesn't solve the problem of a ruptured relationship with God. See, don't miss the picture of the fig leaf. A fig leaf is not substantial, is it? Uh, We need some body armor for the police force. We need some body armor for our troops. We need some body armor. Oh, I know, fig leaves. No, a fig leaf is a fragile thing, and it absolutely will wither in the sun. A fig leaf cannot take the heat of the sun. So what do you have now? Is you've got people trying to cover the rebellion against God before the sun of righteousness, the light of the world. Is it going to work? what I use to cover my rebellion against God is gonna wither and blow away, isn't it? It's not gonna work. But this is the way man thinks in his fallen condition. Sin always tries to hide. Why is it that people, why is it, why is it that they sin in the dark, not at noontime? It's because sin tries to hide. And this is the point that the Lord Jesus makes in John chapter three. Everybody knows verse 16, it's a very famous verse. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And a lot of people stop right there. You need to keep reading, okay? Those really awesome verses are surrounded by a whole lot more awesome and and so you just need to know it all. Verse 17 continues, for God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but the world through him might be saved. Well, why didn't he send him to, I mean, if the world's full of sinners, why didn't he send him to to condemn the world? Well, okay, keep reading. He that believeth not on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Oh, they were already condemned, so they need the Son so that they can believe on him, so that there can be a solution. Now watch this, verse 19. And this is the condemnation that light, is come into the world. The voice of the Lord God is walking in the, in the garden, right in the cool of the day. The light is shining. What happens? And men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. Do you see what's happening in Genesis chapter three? The light is shining. The voice of the Lord God is walking in the garden in the cool of the day and what are the, they're hiding themselves behind fig leaves and under the trees of the garden. Because they're they're They're, deeds and evil. If you combine them, it's deeds. Their deeds are evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved, but he that doeth truth cometh to the light. That his deeds may be made manifest that they're rot in God. Can I just tell you, the best day in my life was whenever, as a 12-year-old, I came to the place where I realized I can't fix what's wrong with my relationship with my Creator. I can't do it. I am messed up from the ground up, <laughs> and to be able to just come to the Lord and say, "God, here I am. in all of my rebellion, my pride, my wickedness, have mercy on me, a sinner." God, I can't fix me, would you fix me? (laughs) Lord, have mercy on me, forgive my sin. Lord Jesus, come into my heart and life and save me. Come to the light, let your deeds be reproved. See the truth of the gospel that those evil deeds, God reckoned them on the person of Christ at the cross of Calvary. And when God's wrath was poured out on Jesus, it was poured out on every wicked thing we've ever done. And when Jesus said, it is finished, God's wrath is satisfied and my sin debt has been cleared. Now I can believe on this Christ who died for me, who was buried, who rose again to eternal life. I can call on him for mercy and forgiveness and salvation. And the Bible describes his shed blood as now washing away my sin. Now my life is Christ, my life is hid in the person of Christ who lives forevermore. Now God is my Father. Now I am in the person of Christ. He is the firstborn of many brethren. I'm in the family of God. I've been born again. I've been redeemed. My my evil deeds, they were reproved 2,000 years ago. They were dealt with 2,000 years ago at the cross of Calvary. Thank God for the light of the world, amen? See, here's what you need to know. Hiding from God is always in vain. It's just better to say, I've got spiritual cancer. I need on God's operating table, right? Do what you need to do, Lord. I'm I'm done hiding. It's always in vain because you cannot hide from an all-knowing God, can you? David said it this way, Psalm 69, verse five, O God, thou knowest my foolishness, and my sins are not hid from thee. That's good to know, isn't it? Matthew 10, 26, fear them not, therefore, for there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed and hid that shall not be known. You can try to cover it up, but the eyes of the Lord are in every place beholding the evil and the good. So it's in vain, and it's in vain because God is a loving and merciful God who is always willing to forgive why are you going to let your sin before the Lord keep you separate from him when he's already paid the price to forgive you? God's always willing to forgive. Psalm 86 verse 5, "For thou, Lord, art good and ready to forgive, and plenteous in mercy unto them that call upon thee." Just got too many people who are who want to be justified in their wickedness, well, you know this happened, that happened, and so I had to take matters into my own hand. And uh, that person had it coming, and you know God's not fair, and and so you're you in rebellion against God and against His word, or holding on to your position in sin before the Lord, when the solution is always, man, I messed up. I acknowledge my sin before You, Lord God, forgive me. I I, I just I messed up. Lord God, forgive me, have mercy on me. Lord Jesus, come into my heart and life, forgive, cleanse me. Give me your life, I'm not, I'll give you mine. I'm not doing anything good with it. (laughs) I'm just messing it up, would you take it and make me yours? Point number two, their fellowship with God is now broken. They don't have a, their relationship is ruptured the voice of the Lord God, the voice of Jehovah Elohim, right? Remember we looked at that. Anytime you see uh, the Lord, capital L-O-R-D, Okay, that's, short, that's shorthand for um, uh, Jehovah or Yahweh in your Bible. So the Lord God, Jehovah Elohim, uh, God is that word Elohim that is a plural male name. They're hiding from his voice, well this voice is the word of God that we see in John chapter one verses one through five. In the beginning, the word was with God and the word was God and then John one says it's this word of God that made every, everything and in case there was any question as to the identity of the word God, we see, just keep reading on down in John chapter one, he showed up and we beheld him Right, it's the person of Jesus Christ Himself. This is the pre-incarnate Christ. This is what happens. Okay, sin always causes man to hide from God and from God's fellowship. It's, whenever, whenever people aren't right with God, they're not seeking to walk with God, are they? They're making excuses to get as far away from God as they can. We see this all the time. You know, we've got we've got family members who are who are away on vacation this weekend. got Some of our church family will be camping, they'll be at the lake, that kind of thing. They're, 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 they're taking a rest. We've got other family who, who uh, they got mad at God over something and they're not with us this morning. Uh, what are they doing? They're, they're not seeking to grow in Christ, they're not seeking fellowship with Christ because there's this one thing that's got them caught up, hung up, There's this one thing that that they can't forget, forgive, forbear, whatever it is. And now it's rupturing, right? It's messing up everything in terms of their fellowship with the Lord. Sin causes us to hide from walking with God in fellowship. See, Adam and Eve, right? Eve in particular, she chose knowledge but there is a knowing of things that can drive you, right? There's a rebellious knowing, there's a rebellious knowledge that will separate you in terms of right fellowship with the Lord. I'll give you an example, Isaiah 66. Isaiah 66 verse four. Listen to what the Lord says. He says, I also will choose their delusions and will bring their fears upon them. Why? Now remember, think, the voice of the Lord God is walking in the garden, he's calling. Right, Adam, where art thou? Right, the, Lord, the voice of the Lord God is seeking in the garden. Uh, so he says, I, I called, none did answer. When I spake, they did not hear, but they did evil before mine eyes and chose that which I delighted not. Okay, so watch how this plays out now in Adam and Eve's life. Uh, God saw everything. Now they see that they're naked, so they're trying to hide, they're trying to cover it up through human effort, they're trying to deal with their problems before the Lord. So the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, where art thou? So Adam cops to it, verse 10, and he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he, the Lord God, he said, who told thee that thou wast naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat? And the man said, okay, so he starts the blame game, the woman the woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me of the tree and I did eat. And the Lord God said unto the woman, what is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, the serpent beguiled me and I did eat. The serpent beguiled me and I did eat. Okay, so there's a lot there. Let's unpack it very quickly, but let's start in verse nine. Notice the first question in our Bible is a question that Satan asks to man that causes them to question the word of God. Do you see that? Then the first question that the word of God asks to man is what? Where are you? Where art thou? Okay, that gives me goosebumps. That makes the hair stand up on the back of my neck. The first question that the word of God asks to man is, where are you? Now, the answer in every case for all of humanity over the last 6,000 years, when the word of God comes, hey, where are you? The correct answer would be, hiding. I'm hiding from you. (laughs) Where are you? The first question from God to man, Satan's question to man was to get them separate from God. God's question is to restore fellowship. Do you see that? When Satan asks a question, it's to try to rupture the fellowship with God. When God's asking, it's I want you in my life. Where art thou? Okay. That's just awesome. I mean, do you see what the word of God is teaching you? What the word is showing you this morning? God wants you in his life. Okay, that, that begs the question. Okay, that's how the Old Testament starts. How's the New Testament start? What's the first question in the New Testament? The first question in your New Testament is men looking for God. Matthew 2.2, 2. here it is. Here's the first question saying, where is he that is born King of the Jews? Okay, do you see that? The Messiah has come and that is the right question. How do I get Christ in my life? That's why we have the gospels, the four gospels unfold because you need to know the good news. Okay, both testaments are set up to show you what the big deal is in each and it's all about knowing and being in relationship with God. These wise men, they're called wise men because they're not dumb men, right? And wise men are seeking Christ. They're looking for the last Adam. They're looking for the fulfillment of the first prophecy in the Bible, the seed of the woman that will crush Satan's head. We want him in our life. Do you see that? Pay attention to the questions that you see in the Bible and then find the answers, right? Anytime you see a question in the Bible, make sure you know the answer to that question. Number three, here's the other problem, their fellowship with each other is broken. Notice, in, <laughs> the voice of the Lord is asking, where are you? Adam's like, I was hiding, why were you hiding? Well, you know, I was naked, I hid myself. Why, who told you you were naked? Did you eat what I told you not to eat? And the man said, the woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me of the tree and I, and I did eat. So it's not my fault I'm in rebelling against you, it's my wife's, do you see that? Their fellowship with one another is broken because now Adam is blaming his wife. He blamed the woman and notice he's not just blaming her, it's the woman who what? Right? The woman that got, got this woman that you gave me, you made her, so her flaw, that's your problem. Oh, yeah, it's your fault I'm rebelling against you. Isn't that how it always works? Why are you treating me bad, husband? Why are you treat me bad, wife? Because you, whatever it is, it's your fault. We cast blame. So what's Satan doing? He's actually, or what's Adam, oh, I gave, gave it away. What's Adam doing? Well, he's of his father the devil now. Okay, one of the things that you're gonna see as you study your Bible is in John's Gospel, we find out there are only two spiritual families in this world. You're either of your father in heaven and you'll fulfill his will, or you're of your father the devil and the lusts of your father, that's what you're fulfilling. He was a murderer, hateful murderer from the beginning, a liar from the beginning, and so he is seeking to kill, steal, and destroy. You're just gonna follow in his footsteps He's following Satan's mode and Satan is the accuser of our brethren, Revelation chapter 12 and verse 10. Satan's mode is always accusation. If you've got an accuser in your life, someone who is unjustly, inaccurately accusing you, what do you have? You have a Satan in your life. He's attacking the woman, he's accusing. You know, Satan always attacks the woman because she's, she's key to God's plan to bring forth life. Again, 1 Timothy 2.15, uh, the wife, right, notwithstanding she'll be, she shall be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith and charity and holiness with sobriety. She was made to bear children and so Satan attacks her. Now, he's still attacking the wife, he still does that, Today, Satan doesn't attack the Lord. Just like he didn't directly attack Adam, he went at Adam through Eve. How does Satan attack the Lord? Well, he doesn't attack the Lord, he attacks the church. He's always going after the bride. So, okay, Eve, what have you done? So the Lord comes to, uh, to, to, to Eve. He says, uh, what is it, what is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, the serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. The serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. So the woman's blaming the serpent. You know, we always think our sin is someone else, someone else's fault, something else, something else's fault. It's always a blame. You're never gonna see your sin problem dealt with. You're never gonna see the thing that's rupturing the relationships in your life dealt with. You're never gonna see healing begin until you accurately identify what the problem is. At some point, you have to own it and repent of it. At some point, you need to biblically identify what is wrong in your life and say, that is sin, and I need to repent of that. I, I, I was making this mess. I was causing this problem, and according to the Bible, it's, and whatever it is, man, lust, pride, greed, Whatever it is, man, that's wrong. I'm gonna agree with God. I'm gonna side with God over my sin. Lord God, this contentiousness in my life, this pride in my life, this lie that I'm telling, whatever it is, it's wrong, and I want no part of it anymore for me to live as Christ. Now consider Adam versus Christ. Adam's failure versus Christ's victory for their brides. You know, Adam, with his bride, he fails in this crisis. Christ is victor. So the picture, we, we saw this already, is when, when God gave Adam a wife, it was, it was through a death, right? It's a deep sleep that comes on Adam, and, and then out of his side comes his bride. And the same is true with Christ. It was through his death. Okay, whenever he gave his life, he gave up the ghost on the cross of Calvary. They thrust a spear in his side and out of his side came water and blood. And it was out of the side of Christ that the bride of Christ was born. That's how she was made and created. So Adam is a type of Christ. Uh, he is an excellent type of Christ who comes up catastrophically short. Okay, he's very much lacking. Luke three thirty-eight says he is the son of God. And notice it's not a son of God, it's the son of God, Luke three thirty-eight. He is fashioned in God's likeness and his image. He is created and formed and made to be God's son. This is why he's called the first Adam and Jesus in 1 Corinthians 15, 45 is called the last Adam. The first Adam was made a living soul. The last Adam was made a quickening spirit. So Adam, when he was created, he was made head of the human race. That's the first Adam. Human race is your next blank. Christ, when he comes, he's the head of God's spiritual family. He is the last Adam. Both are wounded in their side to receive a bride. We already saw that. Eve, in both cases, these brides are deceived, right? Both Eve and and us before Christ, we were deceived. Eve was deceived and that led to her death Uh, Adam was not deceived, so he didn't get tricked into rebelling and being cut off from the life of God. No, he did it knowingly. In other words, the picture here is him giving up his life to be with Eve, do you see that? He knows what's gonna happen when he eats the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and instead of choosing fellowship with God, he rebels against God, and he chooses to remain with Eve in her sin. And then he turns around and blames her for the problem with God, but, but don't miss the picture. What's he doing? He's entering into her sin condition on purpose. Does everybody see that? It's knowingly. Well, that's just like Christ. Christ, didn't he enter into our sin position knowingly? Didn't he, wasn't he willingly reckoned to be sin on our behalf? He entered into, and he did it knowingly. Again, 1 Timothy 2.14, Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression. So also Christ, he was not deceived, but he, just like Adam, entered into our transgression, didn't he? He was reckoned our sin. Okay, so what's the difference? Well, Adam did it in rebellion to God. Christ did it in submission to God. Do you see the difference? Adam enters into Eve's sinful condition, rebelling against the Father. Christ willingly laid down his life, being reckoned your sin and mine. He did it in submission to the Father. In other words, when Adam, Adam's like, honey, I'm home, you know, he's been out working in the garden, and I'm home, what's for supper? This. And he sees her, and she's changed. This is not his wife, this is not the wife that he knew. This is not his innocent, pure wife who was full of the light and the love of God. This bride is now one who is, she's got the knowledge of good and evil. She knows what she's done. She knows that she's in rebellion against the Lord. She's gonna be like God apart from submission to God. She's gonna stand in the place of God as, she's standing in the place of God as God, showing herself that she is God, and Adam's got a decision to make. The second he saw her with that fruit, and the juices of it running down her mouth, she's like, I've lost her. She's dead. This is my wife. What am I gonna do? He was not deceived, he made a decision in that moment. Do you see it? It's like, he took it, and he ate it. He did it in rebellion against God. I've lost her, she's not mine, so I'm going to, But this fellowship is broken, I'm just gonna join her. I'm gonna, I, I choose Eve, not God, I choose Eve. I'm gonna stay with her in her rebellion So their fellowship with God was broken. Their fellowship with each other is broken. He's now accusing her. He's lost her to sin. Romans 3.23 says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. He's lost her. Now he thinks the only way he could get her back when he sees her in rebellion is to enter into her sin condition. Well that's what Christ did for us. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says that he, who knew no sin, he, the Lord Jesus Christ, was made to be your sin and mine that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Okay, we can be made the righteousness of Christ because he was made our sin. He knew Adam, both Adam and Eve, or both Adam and and the second Adam, the last Adam, knew that they would lose fellowship with the Father in order to have their bride. This is what Christ said in Matthew 27, 46. He's reckoned our sin. He's hanging on the cross of Calvary. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabbathani. And that is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He took our sinful condition. Mankind was lost to God. We were corrupt in sin, the knowledge of sin. So just like Adam, Christ willingly laid down his life for us. Hebrews twelve two says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, knowing he would have to say, I'm cut off from you, Father. Despising the shame, knowing that creation would mock and despise and butcher the creator, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. See, the last Adam, sinless, as the Lamb of God, took on the sin of lost humanity and shed his pure blood as God in the flesh in order to redeem us from sin, hell, death, and the grave. Man, I'm so grateful for Christ's willingness. Here I am part of a fallen, before we were ever the bride of Christ, I was part of fallen humanity, and Christ so loved me, he was willing to enter into my sinful condition. He didn't do it in rebellion against the Father, he did it because God loved me. It was the will of the Father that Christ be reckoned my sin. It was the will of the Father that he would enter into my sinful condition, but he did it as the Lamb of God, and he did it not in rebellion, but submission. Now Christ is my savior, he's my redeemer. He is the bridegroom and I'm part of the bride. I am his and he is mine and so shall it be forevermore. Uh, People always ask the question, could God, You know, if Adam would have been like, whoa Eve, slow your roll, that is not on the menu, what have you done? Okay, come on woman, let's go find the Lord. (laughs) We gotta get this right. Would God have given Adam the opportunity to die again in order to receive a bride, right? Would he would get him some opportunity to give his innocent life as a sacrifice for his bride? He could have. We'll never know <laughs> because it's too late. But I think he would have made some way. So what do we need to get from this? Well, I got 10 minutes left and that's just enough time to drop the hammer on somebody. Husbands, God has given you an incredible opportunity with your bride. Look at 1 Peter 3. Every husband loves 1 Peter 3, verses 1 through 6. Every husband loves it because it speaks to the wives. It speaks to our Eve. Husbands, here are our favorite verses in the Bible. Verse 1, likewise you wives be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they may also without the word be won by the conversation of the wives. So even if the husband's a complete jerk, she has to still live Jesus. Man, that's good. Amen, brothers. Yeah, be careful, especially if she's sitting right there. Wives, verse three, who's adorning, let it not be that outward adorning of plating of the hair and of wearing of gold or of putting on of apparel but let it be the hidden man of the heart and that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. So this isn't a prohibition against dressing up, putting on makeup, wearing, wearing jewelry, but what it's saying is if that's what you're counting on to be acceptable, it's not gonna cut it, right? Your beauty comes from the heart. A lot of people have been miserable, married to bombshells who look like a million bucks. They're like, God, kill me. I can't take it anymore. Yes, she's hot and she looks great, but I am miserable, okay? But that, that meek, quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price, man, when that is that that woman is beautiful, and you just love being around her. For after this manner in the old time, the holy women also who trusted God adorned themselves, being in subjection unto their own husbands. Hallelujah. All the guys are being careful, that's wise. Okay. Being in subjection unto their own husbands, even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. Yes, honey, call me Lord. (laughs) Whose daughters ye are, as long as you do well and are not afraid with any any amazement. Okay, verses one through six, that's the word of God. Wives, that's how we roll. Um, So dude, you recognize you're part of a wife, right? This is how we roll. Uh, With a meek and quiet spirit, he is Lord, amen? Uh, But but we love this. Husbands love 1 Peter chapter three verses one through six. Woman, you need to be in subjection, you need to obey me, you need to call me Lord. And that's kind of what they get out of it. And nobody likes to keep going. Look at the very next word in the very next verse. What is it? Likewise. So just like your wives have to roll, so also you men, so also you husbands. Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel and being heirs together of the grace of life that your prayers be not hindered. If she doesn't come through whole, happy, healthy, if she doesn't come through whole and a part of what you're doing in this life for the Lord. In other words, if you get to the end of life, but you didn't get to the end of life with your wife, you didn't win, you lost. You're heirs together of the grace of life. You don't get to treat your wife like trash and then expect God to listen to anything you say to him in pleading prayer. I mean, keep going. Look at verse eight. Most men wanna stop at verse six. Man, you gotta keep reading. Finally, who? you all. This is to every one of God's people. Finally, be all of one mind. Look at how we're supposed to treat each other, husbands. Look at how we're supposed to treat our wives. How do you treat your wife? Well, like she matters. Like she's the weaker vessel. Somebody that you're supposed to lay down your life protecting. Someone that you have to know you've done everything that you can to take care of because you know that you're trusting God to do everything He promised to take care of you. You recognize before the Lord you're a weaker vessel. And so what do you do? You have, you get on the same page with your wife, verse eight. You have compassion on her, verse eight. You love her like she was your brother. I mean your brother could mistreat you and you'd still die for him, wouldn't you? Well, you don't know my brother. Well, okay, maybe you're that dysfunctional, I don't know. Be pitiful, be courteous. She's having a bad day. I'm still she she disrespected me. I'm gonna treat her with courtesy, with respect, because she's my bride. Be pitiful. Be courteous. Not rending evil for evil. I didn't meet my wife's expectation, and now she's got that look. Honey, is everything okay? Everything's fine, and you know that's not true. It's not fine, she's upset about something, but you don't, she's not telling, no, everything, I said everything was fine. In that tone of voice, I said everything was fine. Obviously it's not. No, it's fine, I'm fine. Okay, okay, and then what do you do? The wheels start turning. If she's fine, I'm fine. (laughs) And you render evil for evil. Now you did something stupid, but you're so stupid you didn't know it was stupid, you didn't realize you offended your wife because we're just that clueless uh, a lot of times as men. And rather than get it right, you get even. Because you don't like how she's presenting herself to you. Not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing, but contrawise, I got evil, I got railing, I bless you. Contrawise blessing knowing that ye are there unto called, that ye should inherit a blessing. There it is again. I don't treat my brother right, I don't treat my sister right, I don't treat my wife right, but I want God's blessing over my life. Hypocrite. For he that will, watch this now, verse 10. You want a good life? Man, here it is. For he that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil. Don't talk wickedly, don't talk down, don't talk trash, don't, don't speak harshly to your wife. Let him refrain his, uh, I'm tongue-tied, pray for my tongue. Let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips that they speak no guile. Let him eschew evil and do good. Let him seek peace and ensue it. Does your wife know, brothers, let's get wise. Our wives need to know that we love them and we want their hearts. I want peace with you, right? You're, You're my life, you're my everything. I want you, I want your heart. Let him seek peace and ensue it, why? Because I'm not the Lord. (laughs) For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous and his ears are open unto their prayers, but the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. I don't ever want to be in a place where God has to say to me, not today hypocrite, no blessing today, what you're getting is a spanking. I don't need that, I don't want that. I want to position myself so that, because I am the weaker vessel before the Lord, I need his blessing, I need his protection. I don't, I don't want, I need his correction too. It's better that I judge myself, amen? It's better that I correct myself. See, Ephesians 5, here's, here it is again. Ephesians 5, 21 through 33. Every husband loves, verses 22 through 24. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. Amen. For the husband is the head of the wife. Do you hear that, honey? I'm your head. The husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. <gasps> I'm Jesus in your life, hon. I'm Jesus in your life, babe. Get to submitting. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Amen. Pass the taters. no, 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 no. Husbands have to keep reading, don't they? Husbands, I mean, if only it were just verses 22 through 24 for you. Yes, dear, whatever you think, dear. Yeah, dear, yeah, just let her run it. Let her run the life. Let, I mean, it's, it's, subjection is safety, man. Husbands, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Just in case you were wondering, I'm gonna give you a little time, I'm gonna give you a little allowance, I'm gonna give you, I mean, yeah, I know you work too, but, but, but here's your allowance, I mean, really? Okay, so, he gave himself for it. There's no confusion. We exist to lay down our lives for our brides. Gave himself for it that he might, here it is, you don't like how your wife's rolling, you don't like how she, you, you don't like how she presents herself uh, to you, before you, before others, whatever. Okay, it's because you're lazy. Christ didn't leave us a mess, did he? that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. Remember when we looked at the word husband, a husbandman is a, mm, a gardener, right? And you, if, you, if, you, if you see a terrible garden and the plants look emaciated and bug-eaten and trampled and and malnourished. Is it the plant's fault? It's never the plant's fault. It's always the gardener's fault. Your wife looks like a train wreck. She's miserable. She's sad. She's depressed. She's having a tough time just evening. (laughs) She can't even, okay? Whose fault is that? Husbandman. Whose fault is that? It's not her fault, you're the husbandman. She's miserable and you're like, yeah, she's messed up, she's an idiot, I don't know what's wrong with her. Oh, I already know, she's got a bad husband. That he might present it to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but it should be holy without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself um, I've learned that over the years. The more I love my wife, man, the more that's just me loving me. Give and it will come back to you. Press down, shake it together. Running over, give and it will come back to you. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. Husbands, if you want love and give love. You want a you happy healthy, productive sex life. Lay down your life for your wife. Speak peace and sue it. Do some dishes, man. Ask her. Ask her what she's thinking and then listen. Don't, don't let your eyes glaze over. Find out what's in her heart. Active listen, right? Speak back to the thing that she's saying. Don't, don't, don't just have your head in your phone, uh huh, uh huh, uh huh. What, what was that? Whenever she asked you a question, what, what, what rephrase that because I didn't know quite how you put that. Ah, your smoke screens don't, I mean, they're not convincing anybody. She knows you don't love her. No, no man ever yet hateth his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church whether he knows it or not, he wants you to want to be his friend, to cherish him, to reverence him. Uh, you should treat him like he's a big deal in your life. Well, he's kind of a jerk. Be his friend. Just go be with This is stereo. Now, some guys are a, a little bit more um, sensitive, okay? And uh, they're, you know, a chatty Cathy, and they want to just have hours and hours of deep, meaningful conversation and all that. Okay, that's, you hit the jackpot, maybe, I don't know. Uh, but that's the exception that proves the rule. Most of us are knuckle-dragging, silverback apes, okay? We can say like two words every six months and we're fine. It's good com- that's good communication, It's good conversation. Um, a lot of times as men, the way that we're happiest is when we're just hanging out with our buddies. That can be watching a movie, going fishing, going hunting. We don't have to say a lot. It's a big deal that we're together. We want to spend time together, right? That's how guys, that's, that's how we get close to people is we just be together, okay? Which then also kind of can give you insight into the man, the Lord Jesus Christ. He wants you to want to be with him. Where's your want to set to? So wives, just be his friend, just be with him. While he's always working on a project, go hang out. You know? Uh, what's that doohickey in the car right there? What does that do? What's that? Hey, look. Like, oh, do you really want to know? Not really, I just want to be with you. <laughs> <laughs> well pass me that wrench, which one? Okay, you know, just be with him. Show the value of who he is, reverence him by saying, I want to hang with you, it's a big deal. Husbands, look at verse 21. Every husband wants to leave verse 21 out of his Bible. That's who he is in the flesh. Submitting yourselves to who? Oh, to your brother, and that includes your wife, one another in the fear of God. See, Adam, he submitted wrong. He submitted to Eve in rebellion against God, and that was a life-taking decision. Christ esteemed us better in Philippians chapter two. That's how he submitted to us. He esteemed us better than himself, but he did it in submission to God, and that was a life-giving decision. Do you see the difference? So husband, Do you follow Satan in being abusive to your bride, neglectful, neglectful of your bride, or do you esteem her better than yourself? Because if you will live out as the last Adam with your bride, that is the place of blessing. That's what she needs, and that's what you need. You need that desperately. Well, Pastor, you don't understand what a hot mess my wife is. She doesn't make me happy, and I think it's on purpose. Well, get to work, you bum, Get a job, you bum. You will find your job description in Ephesians chapter 5 in verse 21 and verses 25 through 30. Don't worry about her role, you worry about yours. You'll find your job description in 1 Peter chapter 3 verses 7 through 12. Don't worry about her role, worry about yours. Be a good husband, nourish your bride, cherish her. Know her, delight in her, help her. Lay down your rights loving her. I'd like us to bow our heads and humble ourselves before the Lord before we close. Is there anyone that would say, Pastor, would you pray for me? I need to learn to lay my life down, loving my bride. I want wisdom. I want insight. I want to be the husband that God called me to be. Pastor, would you pray for me? Can I see your hand? Yes, sir, yes, sir. Yes, okay, so all over. Uh, some of the husbands just pray about being dependent on the Lord in prayer. Uh, we need supernatural help. We need strength. We need. We need wisdom, we need help, we need power from on high to be who God called us to be for our brides. Is there anyone that would say, Pastor, would you pray for me? Um, I've been hiding from God and that needs to stop today. Yes, ma'am. Anybody else? Please pray for me. Yes, ma'am. Yeah. I've been hiding from God, that needs to stop today. I need to surrender, I need to submit my life to Christ. Yeah, I see you. Okay, anybody else? Pastor, please pray for me. So Father, you see us as husbands, we're standing in need of prayer. Lord, we need you. Um, we need to put on Christ, we need to live Christ. Like Christ, we need to lay down our lives in supporting and loving our wives. And, and, um, and, and Lord, we need to enter into to the issues, the problems, the, the, the condition of our bride, and we need to do it in submission to you. And so, Lord, ask for my brother's insight and wisdom. Lord, would you enlarge the heart of my brothers for their brides? And then, Lord, for the, for the number that said, I've, I've been hiding from the Lord. Uh, God, they recognize they've been hiding from you and that it needs to stop. Lord, I pray that today would be the day of surrender that it be a day of, of submission, uh, Lord, of confession. That uh, it be a day of salvation. Some need to rededicate their lives to you. Others need to know you for the first time. And so, God, I pray that your will would be done. Be glorified in your people, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.